this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Here we are with our guest, Ryan Hawk. We are super excited to have Ryan on our show. Ryan, welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, This episode, we're focused on leaders, leaders learning, really their willingness to grow, um, but also how do they uh, stay out of fixing their mindset, limiting their growth by their beliefs. And we could not think of anyone better to have on the show than you, Ryan. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks for that. Ryan Hawk is the host of the Learning Leader Show, which we love. He's recorded more than 475 episodes over the past seven years. Forbes called the Learning Leader Show the most dynamic leadership podcast around. Inc. Magazine said it's one of the five podcasts uh, to use as a smarter leader. Apple named it an all-time bestseller in 2020 and 2021. Ryan is also the author of Welcome to Management, How to Grow from Top Performer to Excellent Leader, book Authority named it its 100 best management audiobooks of all time. Forbes called it the best leadership book of 2020. Ryan's second book is called The Pursuit of Excellence, The Uncommon Behaviors of the World's Most Productive Achievers. It sold through its first printing in eight hours and shot to the top of the Amazon rankings. Previously, Ryan worked in corporate America for 12 years. He started an entry-level telephonic sales rep and worked his way to manager, director, and ultimately VP of sales for a multi-billion dollar company. When he's not recording podcasts or writing books, he tries to help leaders be more effective. And some of the ways that he does that is through leadership circles, one-on-one advising, and teaching in the Learning Leader Academy, the online school that he created. He has delivered hundreds of keynote speeches on leadership and performance excellence all over the world. And we're super excited to have him on the show today. So, Ryan, we want to dive into this conversation about leadership, particularly learning as a leader, something we consider you to be an expert in, obviously, through your podcast and other things. We know that effective leaders are always learning and improving their leadership skill set and mindset. But sometimes that means that they have to change what they're doing, including their minds about something. So. In the pursuit of excellence, we love this quote. You write, being true to yourself and your own personal ideas, beliefs, and processes doesn't mean you should be resistant to ever changing them. Can you say more about why people are resistant to new ideas, even when they have evidence that what they're doing isn't working? We'd love to start there. I think uh, changing your mind is a superpower. I think it's really hard, um, especially it seems in the world we live today. But if you study the most impactful leaders over time in history, whether it's Abraham Lincoln or Adam Grant or any number of leaders in between those two, um, they have a history of 
having the confidence and willingness, curiosity, and humility to change their mind. Um, the best bosses, the best coaches, the best teachers, the best leaders that I've ever been around uh, have an open mind. Um, they have strong opinions, but they're weakly held, uh, meaning if better evidence presents itself, they'll change their mind. And so I try to live that way. I mean, I think that's what a learning leader is. I, I, I share with my guests all the time, this is what I believe as of now, but I, have, I certainly have rights to change my mind. And I think the ones who are willing and able to do that have a greater chance of being more effective long-term and sustaining excellence over time versus the ones who, and you've, we've probably all worked for a boss like this, who they already had it all figured out. They got all the answers. They didn't really need to read books. They didn't need to meet with mentors. They didn't need to open up their mind because in their mind, they had, they had it all squared away. And to me, that's the opposite of what a learning leader is. So I try to embody that myself. I fail from time to time, but um, I, I think that's something to, to, to always think about is having an open mind and being willing to change your mind when better evidence presents itself. So, Ryan, let's dig into that a little further. I, I do want to highlight the fact that you mentioned three qualities that I want our listeners to, to understand and really appreciate which is humility, a willingness to be open, and confidence. So you mentioned those three things. One thing that I know that leaders are frightened of sometimes is succumbing to bad advice or making themselves too vulnerable and as a result, steering them wrong, which is why I want to highlight those qualities because I think those qualities help keep leaders grounded and focused. Do you have other advice, other thoughts on how do you not fall prey to that bad advice or that you're just, you know, setting your sail to every wind and going in different directions? Um, stay the course, focus on the goal, um, but not get derailed. I think it just depends on who you're choosing to have in your life and who you're choosing to listen to. Um, and that those choices are really important. Jim Collins told me on episode 216 many years ago. You will become the people that you surround yourself with. And that includes the people who you ask to criticize, ask for feedback, ask for advice, ask to mentor you. Um, that's really important. So, no, it's not about just reading and listening to the world, especially listening to people who haven't done what you want to do or haven't uh, or, and done it in a way in which you'd like to do it. So to me, it's, it's John Calipari told me when I record with him at the Final Four, who's your kitchen cabinet? Who are those people you go to to seek advice, to seek feedback? That is critically important. So it's first getting the who right and then listening to their feedback and knowing that they're not always going to be right, but, but you're willing to listen, to be open to it, analyze it, take time to reflect, and then make the decision moving forward if you think that's accurate and, and right to change. So it's not a guarantee. It doesn't mean... It's just the flavor of the month or the flavor of the day, whatever you're reading that immediately you institute that or you change course uh, uh, immediately. To me, it's about getting the who right first and then being a thoughtful and intentional person uh, based upon their advice and, and the knowledge that you're picking up. So not all of it is, is a fit for you. Not all of it is going to work based on your life and your story and what you're doing. But, but if you're a thoughtful reflective, intentional person, I, I think over time, you should get more of those answers and responses right than, than wrong. 
Um, but also being gentle with yourself, with yourself, knowing that you're not always going to get it perfect. Um, but, but certainly be mindful of the who. So let's, let's, um, double click on that for a second, Ryan. So the who part, getting the who part, right. Can you say more about that? Like, what if we have leaders listening to the show and they say, okay, I need a mentor. I need to gather my kitchen cabinet. Where would you start there in terms of reaching out, selecting individuals, that type of thing? People that you admire what they've accomplished and how they've done it. So that's who I'm looking for. Uh, they have, have to have actually done something that I really admire, and they do, they've done it in a way that I also admire. And then uh, finding a way to get in touch with them. And this is where I think a lot of people get it wrong. Uh, obviously, it helps to have a warm intro if you have any uh, like friends or commonalities between them when it comes to people. But if you don't and you do have to reach out cold, I think, uh, which I've done thousands of times, uh, whether it's for my podcast or, 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 uh, or just reaching out cold for advice, it just be very specific in your praise and very specific in your ask. Uh, that's what people get wrong. When they send the email, I'd like to pick your brain, it's an immediate delete. It's just going to get deleted immediately, definitely from me and probably from most. Um, picking your brain is the opposite of being specific. So when I say be specific, just tell them exactly what you admire about them and be as specific as possible. And then ask them what you want or ask them the question that you have. Don't say, can I ask you some questions? Just ask the question in the body of the email. And you can also ask to have a phone call or to meet up with them or, or whatever. But uh, that's the thing with me. I think specificity has worked for me. It works on me when people uh, make requests. And lack of specificity and picking your brain is the thing that is a guaranteed delete every single time if that's what people are asking for. Ryan, I would like to get a little personal if you wouldn't mind. And you know, you've had success in business you know, TJ went through your bio. It's impressive. But then you, you start the podcast. You've had a lot of success with the podcast. You had a lot of success um, with what you've written. So that's something that has been impressed upon us as educators, especially, you know, what we're trying to tell kids all the time. Look, you can do it. You know, you, you got to set your mind to it. Have there been influential people in your life, you know, and were they close to you, family members, or other people you just connected with that you say, you know what, this is really what helped me, you know, corporate America, and then also becoming an entrepreneur yourself and leading your own business. Were those that you kept close to you that really were impactful? Yeah, I mean, it starts at home. I was raised, and I'm still in a way raised by two amazing parents, my mom and my dad. I live with 15 minutes from them right now. I lean on them a lot. Um, so it started there and, and, and living in a, in a home and being brought up at home around two brothers, uh, where work ethic and consistency and showing up for others were hallmarks of our upbringing. And they weren't really told to us. They were shown to us. My parents just behaved that way. And I think that's a much more impactful way to lead is just to do it. Um, you don't have to say it, you do it because especially now as a dad myself, I know our kids watch what we do far more than they listen to what we say. So it's important to be a doer. So for me, it started at home and it started with family friends I met through my parents. I got hired by one of those for my first job when I got done playing football after college, which was a huge help. And I probably did not deserve that job, which then inspired me and motivated me to want to do extremely well at the job because I wasn't um, 
necessarily a, a slam dunk of a choice. Um, and I, th- I think I brought some of that work ethic that I learned from my my home, uh, my parents and my brothers um, into the workplace. And that afforded me the opportunity to do pretty well. And from there, I just looked at the top 10 uh, of the stack rankings. I worked in sales and telephonic sales organization at LexisNexis. I looked at the top 10. I interviewed those people. I stayed close to those people. I tried to deconstruct their excellence, why they consistently stayed at the top of the SAC rankings, learn from them. A few of them became close mentors of mine. One of them was even in my wedding. We became that close later on. And, and to me, that those people that I met and understood why they were so good at what they were doing, not only did it help me in that specific role, but it actually unlocked something in my mind that this is the way you should do it. You should regularly go to the people who are excellent at whatever it is you want to do and simply ask them how they do it. Go deeper, lead with your curiosity, try to understand what it is that makes them really good, and then incorporate the bits and pieces from all of these different people into my own life mash it together with my personality so I'm still real and authentic in myself, but I'm taking the little things from others that they do really well and incorporating it into my game. And that's what I've been continuing to do, whether it's a podcast or speaking or writing or whatever it is that I choose to do. It's all based on the key learnings from others who have done it well before me. And uh, that's what I plan to continue to do uh, as I move forward. So Ryan, that was an awesome answer about your background but you mentioned bits and pieces. So I want to pick up on that and ask this question. What's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? One of those bits or pieces that you picked up that you say, look, if you regularly do this, success will happen or you'll be able to sustain success, as you say. (laughs) Um, I mean, show up, do the work every day. I mean, the least sexy answer of all time, right? Show up and get to work every single day. Uh, It sounds simplistic. It sounds easy. It's not. Most people aren't consistent. Most people don't show up and do it every single day. I've learned that you can, uh, I I think, do well over time by that trait alone, uh, by being, by consistently being willing to show up. I mean, that, that worked for me in sports. That worked for me in sales. I got my first ever sale at LexisNexis as a new business sales rep on December 31st, right? Nobody was in the office that day. Uh, a lead came in. It wasn't my territory, but nobody was there. I took it. I got credit for it. I sold the deal, right? So like things like that, showing up on a consistent basis every day, especially if you're earlier in your career and you don't have uh, a partner or kids yet, which I didn't at that time, you got to show up and do the work. I think it's 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 poor advice to try to think, as a 25 year old, you're going to be balanced. Like that's the time in your life where you absolutely should not be balanced. You should work like crazy in order to establish yourself and build a career. There may be time for balance later, uh, although I'm still not there yet. But I would say that's a time to really push people to get after it, uh, to build something of a, of a name for themselves, whatever their career is that they're building. To me, that that was key. Was was early on was just showing up day after day after day putting scripts together and email templates every Saturday. That's what I did with one of my mentors who helped me out. Like those things were the differentiator between being just a good performer and at the very top of the stack rankings. And I draw from that still every day that that's, that's what led to, to my early, early success in my career. And so I, I try to, to keep doing those things. Ryan, if you don't mind, 
I want to talk a little bit more about this whole notion of balance because I, I think people have a misunderstanding around balance. And you just said, you know, even yourself, you haven't achieved it, but you certainly prioritize your life. Would you mind digging into that a little bit? Because TJ and I have written about this. We've talked about it, that you will find balance around your priorities and the priorities in which you focus on may change over time and the seasons in which you're in. Like you mentioned, now that you have your own kids, now that you have a wife, where at December 31st years ago, it didn't matter, right? Your other choices may be hanging out at a restaurant or bar with friends versus getting the job done. Can you speak to those priorities, speak to how you balance around those priorities? I know that's important to folks. Yeah, I mean, I'm, obviously, my family is my first priority. Um, but f- f- just for an example of how I design my summer. So one of my favorite things in the world is to throw my seven-year-old daughter, Charlie, in the water. She loves literally jumping out and me throwing her in the water. So as I was look, literally planning out the schedule for this entire year, I really wanted to stack the cold weather months with tons of my creative work and creation, the building of things. So that in the summer months, which we're in right now, I could go home around three o'clock ish on almost every single day when I'm not traveling, giving a speech on almost every single day so that I could throw her in the pool. And I talked to my wife a lot about this. It was very important to me because I know these years go fast and she's going to get too big soon for me to throw her in the pool. So I prioritize that actual action of this closeness of us touching, of us being together, of us loving one another, of us smiling and laughing together. That's a huge priority. It's number one right right now for me at this time because I know those days I might only have one more year of that. So to me, it's it's literally mapping the year that the 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 cold weather months will be stacked with more building and creating and writing. Whereas the summer months, yes, I'm on airplanes from time to time giving speeches, cashing checks because I have to build a business. But when I'm not doing that in the afternoon, you can bet we'll be in the pool. And so to me, it's just figuring out what's most important to you and then designing and planning. Now, I realize not everybody can do that. Some people have to be in an office from a certain time to a certain time. I feel like I've worked really hard to not have to do that, to have flexibility. Now, I work every Saturday and Sunday. There are parts of every Saturday and Sunday that I'm working probably two to three hours, usually before my family wakes up. But that that's part of having these these every weekdays when I'm in town going home so that I can throw her in the pool. So it's just thinking about what it is that you really want to do, having a plan, working the plan so that you can you can do it. You can actually execute on that. And to me, it's really important. I know I'll never look back and regret spending too much time swimming in the pool with her. So I, uh, to me, that's the advice I'd give others is, is figure out a way that you can design your day, design your work around your life. If you're fortunate enough, which I've worked for many years to get to this point, that if you can do that, uh, that's what I would suggest because I, I always think about at the end of the year, like what, what would I regret more or less? You know, like, uh, this, the traveling has gotten a little out of hand this year, which is a good problem and a bad problem. Good problem being you're in demand to go speak and be at places, but bad problem because you're not home. So at that point, then you just dramatically, it's like simple economics. You dramatically raise your right, your rates. You say no a lot more. So when you do go, it's really worth it. But then you also try not to go as much moving forward so that you can be be there at three o'clock. So that's that's how I look at it. I try to live by that. Again, if not perfect, mess it up from time to time. But to me, that's like a good a, a good signal. Like, are we going to the pool? Which we did yesterday. You know, I, I was in Boston giving a speech in the morning. 
I asked them to move my slot to the very first one of the day and because they wanted me to go the afternoon. Can I go first in the morning? Can I be the first guy to go? I want to kick off the day. Oh, really? Great. Okay, yeah, we can do that. Why? So I can get on the plane right after that and go home and be home by four o'clock, right? So those types of things are part of what I try to do. It doesn't work all the time, but uh, that's that's what that's like a real, real specific advice and uh, and uh, of what I would try to do if I was someone else when designing and mapping your days aligned with your priorities. No, I, I love the response. I think it's perfect. I, I appreciate you boiling it down to an activity because I think a lot of times people would write a goal like spend more time with my kid, but that's not that doesn't mean anything. You know, you could both be in the same room watching TV and not be together. So right. being in the pool, interacting, engaging, and, and being the father of three boys, two of which I wouldn't dare try to pick up and throw at this How point big in are my they? life. Are they, too, are they too big now? They're way too big. Uh, <laughs> one's, one's 230 and the other oh, is, geez. yeah, yeah. And, and uh, the one's just about two. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm not that big of a guy. So I, I've learned those days are over. Even when they wrestle or grapple with me now, I'm petrified. You know, I, I said, listen, we stopped we stopped horse playing around when you were 12 for a reason. So uh, let's keep it. Let's, let's keep that on front and center. Ryan, looking at this, you know, you've had a, a lot of success. Um, I really when TJ had said earlier about, you know, why we like your work. It's, it's because of the contribution to this this idea of leadership, which we think is constantly expanding, constantly growing. What's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, I'd have to think about that one. I mean, I'm, I'm, I always look at guest selection based on something I'm curious about that I'm probably not that good at yet. You know, I just recorded with a guy named Neil Ford who does these direct to the camera, black behind him uh, videos that have gone viral on TikTok, And I don't think I'm very good at that. And, and so, uh, I would love to be able to tell two to three minute stories that have a compelling hook and that have a surprising aha learning at the ending of them. So I, I think that's part of, uh, how I decide, like, would I, who I want to talk to is who I'm most curious about, because it's a skill that I envy that I admire that I, uh, am not good at yet. So I would say, uh, something like along those lines is probably the first thing that comes to mind, maybe because I just recorded with him and, and learned a lot, um, but still have a long ways to go when it comes to implementing it myself. That's a really cool answer and, and, and definitely granular. I like, though, that what you're doing there is exercising your own curiosity. I actually wondered that as a as a longtime listener in terms of thematic representation of who you choose and why. So um, anybody who listens to your podcast is also going to find that too, like one thing you are exercising curiosity, um, your own curiosity, which comes up a ton uh, on your show. Um, and that also how you pick your guests. Uh, I wondered, uh, Ryan, about leadership itself and how you continue to grow as a leader. An obvious answer here is you inter you've interviewed over 475 people about leaders, but as a learning leader, how what continues to support your growth as a leader that others might be able to replicate besides having a stellar podcast? Well, I, mean, I think you have to live at your edges of, of comfort and competency. Um, so for me, interviewing and talking with somebody who's far wiser than me 
um, in their area of specialty uh, stretches. It's a stretching uh, thing for me. Writing books. I've written two and I'm gathering information, hopefully for another one. Um, That is a massive stretch because they're so hard to write good books. Um, So I, 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 I always like to think of projects or ideas or things that are at the edge or even beyond my current zone of competency, because if I'm going to work towards that, even if the project doesn't go well, at minimum, I'm going to learn, I'm going to get better. So to me, it's like thinking about everything I'm going to do is one, is it on my edges of, of what I'm already good at or not? It needs to be to do it. And then even if it fails, am I going to learn from it? And I, I, that's another measure if I'm going to say yes to something. So I'm kind of in the middle of those things. I've taken on more one-on-one advising with, with senior leaders, people who have much bigger jobs than I've ever had. And initially there's a a big sense of imposter syndrome for there. And I even tell them that before we sign on, like, look, man, you're, you have a bigger job than I've ever had. I don't know what I'm going to, I'm going to help you out. And I think that honesty and authenticity, uh, seems to, seems to, to work, seems to, to be better, but those, those gigs, those ongoing gigs are huge stretches for me because going into every single call, I have doubt. I have doubt whether I'm going to add value to them or not. Now, I try to prepare like crazy. I try to follow up and make sure that I'm adding value, but um, there's no guarantee of those things. I talk with my, my wife, Miranda, about that all the time. I'm like, I'm surprised that so-and-so still wants to work. I don't know how I add value to, to his life. Um, and and those, they'll continue on. So maybe it's just the combination of of, of learning from others and being able to share that with people and trying to be a good listener, uh, that seems to, to be helpful. But that's, that's work that I would have never have envisioned or forecasted being a significant, significant part of the revenue of my business that it is. So it's, it's in that way, it's surprising, but I think you have to have kind of an open mind and willingness to do things that maybe you didn't plan on because you could grow and learn from it and maybe even be good at it which you didn't think you were. So uh, I guess that's how I, I try to approach it. Ryan, I want to delve into this a little more because the vast majority of our listeners are educators and a lot of leaders, principals, superintendents, et cetera. And I think what happens to us very often is that imposter syndrome, right? Like, so I start as a TJ, uh, teacher, TJ starts as a teacher Next thing you know, we have these jobs running districts and imposter syndrome can kick up very quick. Like, no, I'm the principal now. How'd that happen? And is there any ways you specifically try to combat that? Like, look, I, I got to keep on keeping on. But are there things you specifically do to help build your confidence, help keep taking those steps forward? Because TJ in, in our day or through our podcast, but even our work life, we're mentoring young leaders quite a bit. And this is something that we hear from them quite often. I, I don't think imposter syndrome is bad. I think it stems from from humility. I mean, Beyonce had imposter syndrome for a decade um, and probably still does from time to time, although it's hard to imagine. But um, so one, I don't think it's terrible. I, I think it's, it stems from a place of humility. I'd rather somebody have that than think they own the world when they haven't earned it yet. Uh, when it comes to confidence, um, confidence uh, needs evidence. So t- to me, I have to continually provide evidence to myself that, that I've earned it, that I deserve it. And, and the way that uh, I think evidence presents itself is by regularly doing hard things, regularly doing things that are outside of what your, your current capacity. 
So that's why I mentioned to you earlier about being on the edges and stretching and pushing my edges consistently. When I'm consistently pushing those edges, both physically and mentally, I think there's a big physical component, at least to me there is, that builds, that creates evidence. And as that evidence builds, so does my confidence. And and that makes me feel like yesterday I was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, you know, where Harvard is with a really bright group of, it was a pharmaceutical company, their lead, senior leaders. And I'm thinking, one of the younger guys in there thinking, what in the world am I going to say that's going to be, that's going to help these people learn anything? But I had to throw that thought aside and say, you know, I've learned a lot over the past seven and a half years uh, doing my podcast. And I've learned a lot playing football and I've learned a lot in the business world. I probably do have stuff to share. And as I got going and we go for two hours with Q&A, it was, it was, it was a killer. It was great. And so I, th- that then created more evidence for the next time I go into a room like that with these senior leaders, many who are older and more experienced than me, who have huge titles, huge money, big companies to say, I've done this before. I've done this before. I can do this. So it's just a matter of creating evidence for yourself that then you can build upon that and kind of stack each of those days over time where I'm still going to be a little bit nervous. I'm still going to have that anticipatory feeling before I start. Like, I hope this goes well. I hope I add value for them. But the more and more you do it, the better I feel each time. So I would I would say, tell people, like, it's hard to build confidence reading a book or thinking about it. The way you build it is by doing it. And so get out on the stage, get out in whatever arena that you need to get in in order to build that confidence. And the imposter syndrome will always be there a little bit, but it's not the worst thing. It's not the worst thing to have that from time to time because I think that stems from humility, which is a good trait. Um, But I think you can then take the humility and turn that into confidence by presenting evidence to yourself. And you do that by, by regularly doing hard things. Absolutely. And I'm, very glad to hear that that went well yesterday and worked out for you. The whole idea of confidence needs evidence, I think, is something people should write down and look at routinely. Brian, we started this podcast with the, the idea of you know leaders being able to change their mind, leaders being able to stay mentally agile. You know, is there something you used to think that you don't think anymore? Well, I mean, when I started my podcast almost eight years ago, it was, it was, I still had the mindset that the leader had to be the stand on the table, rah, rah person, loudest, loudest voice in the room, the inspirational person. I've certainly evolved with that over time, uh, to, to know that leaders can, can, can be far, uh, introverted and still find a way to lead and move people. I think there are many different styles of learning. There are many different styles of leading, there are many different types of people that will be willing to follow based upon you, I think, exhibiting the traits of a person that others would like to be. Um, and so uh, to, I, I'd say that's probably evolved the most over time is that there are many different forms of people and personality types that can be compelling and can, and can create followers, can create commitment. Um, as well as the fact that leadership is not a title. Like when I was earlier in my career, I just saw manager or, or director or VP or CEO. And like, that's leadership. It's not leadership is a choice and you can choose to be a leader regardless of your title. And you can also not be a leader with a giant title. Uh, you could maybe be a manager, but to me, as I wrote in welcome to management, compliance can be commanded. Commitment cannot. 
So if I'm your boss, I can force you to comply because you work for me. Until you decide to quit, you have to comply. That's the way it goes. But I can't force you to commit. I have to earn your commitment. And I have to earn that every single day. And, and that's what I, I push leaders to work on is like, how are you earning commitment every day? What are you doing that's inspiring people to want to commit to your mission? Because that's the only way you're going to sustain excellence over time. Short-term compliance, it can work for a quarter, can work for maybe even a year. Over time, it doesn't. It's not going to happen. I've worked for those types before. I've been that type before. Like it's not, it's, it doesn't work that way. So to me, it's just simple prompt. What am I doing? to inspire other people to commit to what I'm doing. And uh, if, if, if my actions are not affirmative when I'm prompting myself with that, then it's my fault. So I'm pushing others to, to hopefully do the same thing. And, and then I think the results will eventually follow. Brian, that, you know, that's, I think, a great place to come to a close. I think it's going to be comforting for leaders to hear that there's not one leadership style that they need to emulate to get the job done. Um, and that job being that we need to inspire people to commit versus just getting them to comply. I think school leaders in particular are going to take a lot from that because that's exactly what we need people in schools to do is take like the deepest commitment to the work that we do for kids every day. This has been fantastic. I've enjoyed this immensely. I've got pages of notes sitting in front of me here. Is there anything else that you would like to add as we wrap up? Uh, I guess I think you, you nailed it. So I, I really appreciate your prep and, and the questions and, and how thoughtful you guys are. I hope, hope this is uh, helpful for the educators. 100% and I'm sure it will be. There you have it, everyone. Another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed this one thing series on how school leaders can continue to grow, really learning as a leader, your skill set, your mindset, and so much more with Ryan Hawk. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks, guys. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell, how do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend Ghost Bed, our sponsor with 30,000 plus five-star reviews. Their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. And their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic uh, support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code 
SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out ghost bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com. Ghostbed.com.